Hello, welcome to Digital Mindfulness and to our 50th episode. Welcome to the show. My guest this week is Oshin Scollard, and he's the founder of the online mental health organization, Turn To Me. As you'll hear in the show, Oshin's very personal story of how he started TurnToMe.org in 2009 after losing his brother to suicide in 2003 spurred him to create this web space for people to share, discuss and offload their personal problems, finding support and also getting useful information. This site, TurnToMe.org, which connects people and promotes mental health well-being through technology, also allows people to get help and is a safe online community for people to open up and reach out. I hope you enjoy this show with Oshin Scollard. Hi Oshin, welcome to Digital Mindfulness and thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. I'm really looking forward to actually having a chat and talking more about Turn To Me, so welcome. No, great Lawrence, thank you. It's a pleasure um, to, to connect and talk today, so looking forward to it. So, Oshin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your motivations for starting Turn To Me in this, this incredible platform, because um, you've got a really interesting story. And um, yeah, I'm wondering if you can just share that with the audience. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a journey, I suppose, like a lot of things you do in life. And, um, you know, it, it, at a point where you can look, look back now and reflect after seven years. So we set up in 2009. Um, as an online peer platform at the time, it was really just a, well, I don't say just, but it was a, it was a mental health uh, forum for people to connect in on a whole bunch of issues from anxiety to depression. Um, but it had been, in, I suppose, a thought that it was there for probably the better part of five or six years from a very personal experience. So myself and my brother Dermot co-founded it because we'd lost a brother to suicide in 2003. And uh, really on the back of that, a very personal heart-wrenching experience that made us well want to do something but do something that played to the skills that we had and the skills that we had was in was in web and in design and we saw that there was very little out there for people to get access to a supportive community that at least had some degree of controls and moderations attached to it so um there were a lot of open source different places people could go and get mental health support, but they weren't necessarily being monitored or moderated. And that was the the difference that we wanted to bring. So that's really where we started. And now we're 2016 and still going strong. So, Gosh, it's such an amazing story, Oshin. And I just love the way that you've taken this tragedy and used that, combined it with your skill set and created something that's of use for just a lot of people. Um, but I'm wondering just how widespread... Um, technology is actually used for real mental health treatment because I would have thought normally people would like to see other people in person. Yeah, I think it's 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 new in the in the sense of its emergence at the moment. I think it's been there for quite a while. There's there were studies done way back in in two thousand and four by uh, an academic expert Barak who 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 actually did analyze scientifically and academically the impact of of people using technology for mental health support and found overwhelmingly that you know peer support online could actually could actually uh, be of real benefit to people in that context and i think um more recently what's what's made it more popular is the fact that we have 
globally a growing mental health problem and there's no denying that the statistics are there in every single country globally the access to services is getting increasingly difficult and increasingly expensive and beyond the reach of many people so really then it it i think health services and organizations and ngos globally started to look to technology as a as an empowerment tool to be able to help people more immediately it's not going to solve your problems. It's not going to fix you. It's not going to make everyone better. Um, it's not for everyone as well. And we're very clear about that in turn to me as well. It's not for people that are, you know, in a medical situation. It's not for people who are actively suicidal. It's not for people who may have ingested something or they may have harmed themselves. That That's a very different type of context. And it's not really for somebody who's looking to develop a longer a longer term therapeutic relationship but what it can do is it can be there available and accessible at any time day or night seven days a week um, and it can be that initial stepping stone for many or it can be that initial critical critical gap between a person seeing their professional or seeing their gp or maybe at home and not having access to a friend or family member so it it is it is actually an enabler to all the other forms of therapy rather than a replacement to that. So I think that's kind of sometimes a common misnomer is that uh, other other factions of mental health professionals or the, um, the broader sector might say, are you trying to create something here that replaces face-to-face therapy? Well, it, actually, no, it's, it's there to complement it and, and there to, in fact, act as a signpost or referral gateway in many cases to those particular services and especially for someone who may be geographically disconnected or maybe just disconnected within themselves and don't have the confidence to go and reach out and go to a mental health professional this is a very barrier free accessible way of doing it particularly on a smartphone and then they go hey you know what this is somewhat normalized in my head i'm not i'm not someone who's completely and utterly the only individual on the planet who suffers from this because that's what sometimes people think and I've been given some degree of tools and coping mechanisms over this short program or maybe more midterm tech technically offered program. And now I'm going to go and, and do a drop-in center or go face to face or go to my GP or make the next step. I think this is just so interesting because um, you're absolutely right. Having an online space where people can go and you know learn more about what it is that they're going through and maybe connect with somebody who's possibly going through the same thing that's really really necessary because you know it does take a lot to make that step to reach out to someone physically and then go down and physically talk about what it is that you're going through so having that space there is just so useful yeah I think um you haven't been in the space a while and I, you know, I qualify my comments by saying I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I am a technologist, but you know, I have observed a lot of the different interactions that have gone on and, you know, being perfectly honest and transparent, I've had my own mental health difficulties and have often in the past found it difficult to vocalize those. Um, I think there's a couple of aspects to, to coming to terms with, a mental health related issue or, you know, reaching out for help on a mental health related issue. And I think it's an awareness, first of all, and you may not always have that awareness. It may not be within you to, to realize that something's not quite right, or you may just park it and choose to live your life thinking that that particular way of thinking or feeling is normal. Um, but then having got over that first hurdle, 
it's then, well, how do I package this in order to vocalize it, which can sometimes be equally very difficult because there's such a conflation of things going on in your head where you think, where do I start? So it can, you know, there can be real help with that. And then thirdly, it's the taboo issue and, you know, judgment and fear of failure and fear of being judged and what will people think and is it a weakness? And, um, and that may then lead back to step one and two, which is, well, you know what, I'll park it and then I won't really try to organize it in my head. So, Have you been particularly impressed or intrigued by any of the other um, online mental health offerings that there are available today? Yeah, I mean, there's a few now. I mean, there's some really big ones coming out of the States um, that are offering not just access to counsellors, which we do on, on Turn To Me, where, you know, you can see a professional now as well or join a group setting. Um, they're actually offering a programmatic approach, which is which is very cool, very, very interesting, and in that they're bringing an element to CBT. And, um, so there's quite a few out of San Francisco now where the, you can sign up and it's a program that runs over, well, really a, a four, eight, 12, 16-week uh, period and it, it it's it's guiding you through a whole bunch of different things that you can do from mindfulness to relaxation techniques to um, taking some particular assessments that might assess improvements or disimprovements to sleep patterns and then also allowing you connect with us with the with the professional when you need to um, so it's it's giving a lot of self-empowerment back and they're having really successful results and they're getting, you know, clinical evaluations done and some academic studies done behind them. So I think it's a space that's going to continue to grow. There's also some in the UK. I mean, one that I've always greatly admired in the UK is the Big White Wall, which um, is, is a really, really great organization, social enterprise that was set up where um, and it's it's got NHS backing in the UK now, which is it, it's a very simple concept. It allows someone to come along and essentially create a brick they put a brick in a wall and the walls are different and they move the brick around the different walls, depending on how they're feeling or thinking. So, um, and it's guided and it's got mental health professionals attached to it. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of activities and workbooks that go on. So I think it's, it's definitely a very emerging space. There's a lot of articles out there around this, but equally there are some that are not very well designed or they're not very well researched and they're not very, very well staffed in terms of the type of, academics or, or professionals that are behind them and unfortunately they will they will sometimes distract away from the good ones but you know i think as as the space emerges and as the services within it emerge there will be a greater level of control and regulation ultimately that will come and about i'm really really intrigued to know about the success rate for um, working with people and just helping people through their mental health issues using um, online mediums um can you give me any insight into that? Like actually how successful are digital platforms in really helping people to overcome mental health issues? Yeah, I think it's different for different people. You know, there's, if we were to take a very uh, absolute approach to it, I think people would expect, well, if I come on and I start this journey, be it at a peer level or be it at a professional level or be it even in a one-to-one counselling um, environment online that that I'm going to be at the end of an eight week program or twelve week program I'm going to be great I can close the laptop and I can go live what may be objectively defined as a normal life um, that's not going to be the case for everybody I think for some it will definitely be very effective and and, and it will be very immediate kind of results um, and that might be more mild to moderate type of conditions with anxiety or depression but if somebody is in a more 
moderate to severe type of of mental health state. And we do clinical assessments, for example, using scales, clinical scales to evaluate where someone may be at. Um, that's a more longer term process. So there's a there's a couple of dependencies on that that the person stays with you for that duration or that they continue some form of therapy beyond that. So but what we do have in terms of statistics behind what we're doing is uh, we do user surveys first of all with people before during and after our programs and we ask them at the end ultimately a bunch of questions around how they feel now um, are they more empowered are they more knowledgeable about their particular um, uh, condition or, 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 or illness as it, uh, as it often is um, and do they find that overall they found the program helpful and in 79% of cases to date, of, of the over 5,000 people that we've seen, 79% of people say they, find, they found it helpful or very helpful. 65% of people saying they found it very helpful. So that's not a clinical evaluation. It's a user evaluation, but it's still a powerful, um, it's still a powerful metric. And then from a clinical point of view, what we, what we do see in the clinical scales and they're, they're globally recognized clinical scales that are used by our professionals is people who stick with the program and, and, and come to the sessions and do the work that we ask them to do. They do see gains in, in their overall mood or their overall uh, management of their mood or their wellness index. So um, they're incremental gains, but they're still gains. So we can say that it's having a positive impact as opposed to a negative impact. But I don't, I don't think it can, it can get to a point where you could say that this is this professes to to bring you to a particular place within eight or twelve weeks because some of those programs out there do say that and I think that's that's somewhat misleading. You know, I'm thinking that this is actually really, really important to make note of because it is unfair to kind of put the same um, time period of progress um, and success that people normally put on, say, general online programs. So it's unfair to say, for example, that in 12 weeks you will have better mental health or you will be feeling better. But um, I'm wondering what kind of programs that you in particular offer to people once they come to Turn To Me. Yeah, I think it's got it's, it's for a number of different people. Um, like what we offer is a, is a, is a, is a first, the first layer of service really is a thought and mood management diary. So it's an online diary. Um, that allows you to record thoughts or multiple thoughts each day and chart those on a graph. And that graph goes back over time. So that helps you understand what you're thinking in a day and how that trends with your mood. Um, and it you know, shows you the oscillations in your mood. So that's, that's very powerful from a self-management point of view. So what can help you identify is whether particular patterns are happening or correlations are happening that cause certain things. So and it's a diary to reflect back on and you can make that public or private. So people are making a, pr- a public and others can share and comment and then say, I have a similar experience or I'm going through something similar. So you, you create this relationship effect and this supportive effect. And then our professionals are monitoring that. So they can then reach out to somebody and in what we like to call uh, pull mental health as opposed to push mental health, where we can say, look, we've been looking at your diary Um and we think you could really benefit from one of our programs, our group counseling program, our one-to-one counseling program, or our mood skills, which is a, a programmatic clinical approach for managing depression. Um, 
And then we can encourage people to continue to use that thought and mood diary over that period and report effectiveness or not, or see how it's improving their, their management and their mood management or not. So um, it's, it's, it's really, or people can just choose not to use that particular service and go directly into group counseling or into one-to-one counseling. But I think the, those that get the best effect also have an element of self-management as well. You, um, Okay, so I'm really interested in that phrase you were just talking about there, that whole thing of push and pull therapy. Could you just share a little bit more about what that is? So, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that dawned on us from being in this space quite a long time is when you offer services online or be that anywhere, you're assuming that someone knows what they want to get access to. Now, if you have one service, that that's pretty binary. The service is what it is and what it can and cannot do. So you apply or you don't apply. But if you have a multitude of services, which we do, then how do you know that your user, your end user knows which one to apply for? So that would be where they would they would come and, and, and you'd be expecting them to approach a service. Whereas if you get people to, to use a, a, a mood and thought diary where they're just recording what's going on and they're sharing what's going on in their head, we're able to then come in and pull them out of that and say, we think based on what you're, you're saying and telling us and also uh, other uh, experiences that we've had with similar types of users, you would benefit from such a program. And what that's done is the participation rates in those programs has increased by almost 50% and the dropout rate has decreased by over 40%. Because people now are more inclined to go on the power of referral where they go, well, a professional has reached out to me and said that they think I would benefit from something. So it's a much more powerful way of engaging with someone who's an end user in mental health rather than saying, well, you know what, here's a shop window. And basically you choose the door you want to go through. Well, they don't necessarily know which door is the most ideal door for them. And that experience could be could leave them with a really bad experience as well, which you know, can often be more detrimental than beneficial overall for their mental. As I've said before, the stuff that you're doing with Turn to Me, I think is really important and I think it's fantastic. But I'm also wondering if some of the learnings that you're getting from Turn to Me, whether you can apply them to the way that other online communities are run. So like, there's a lot of discussion at the moment about cyberbullying, about flaming, etc. And I'm wondering if a lot of what you're finding out now can translate over to them. Yeah, I think so. Like it's, it's very much in development. Like I think there's, there's different strands to what we're doing. I think if you take words on their own, that's not going to be enough. Um, you know, you can, you can take the construct of a sentence and you can, you can say that if someone says, for example, I plus want plus suicide, that that's a risk flag. And at a very basic level, we have that right now. So if somebody does enter that into their mood or thought diary or into a comment, Opal flag an immediate pop-up that says it sounds like you're at risk and here's the appropriate crisis intervention services or medical services in your country be it the UK or Ireland where they should where they should contact um but taking it up a level I think you've got to analyze textual patterns and then also mood patterns and then also behavioral patterns uh, on the site so login time frequency of use um, inactivity versus activity, passive versus active activations that go on, um, whether someone is supporting somebody or they're on the receiving end of support, 
whether they're using certain controls that are offered within the platform. And you add all of that up algorithmically. And what it will do is produce a signal. It won't produce a diagnosis, but it will produce a signal that says that there's something going on here that may need a further intervention. And and the reason why I I take that approach, and it's something that I'm about to embark on studying really is um, if you have, which you often can have, a community of people where there are hundreds online, and there may at some point be thousands online. Um, what do you do with that? Because 1,000 people online, they're all at very different places in their journey, one. They're all at very different places on a risk spectrum. And they may all have very different needs. Some may, the vast substantive majority may just need to connect and get support. Some may actually need some form of an intervention professionally. So how do you, how do you at least stratify that? So that you're you're not making a decision or a diagnosis, but you're you're presenting it in a way that your professional team or your moderation team can go right. There's a user here that was on before. When they were on before, they did have a they did express a risk or they did say something that was of concern. So I know now that that's someone I can more actively support. So they've essentially been able to distinguish the five or ten or fifteen people out of that thousand in a much more in a much more structured way, rather than having to go in as the current services often offer, particularly forums, where you're relying on a bit of knowledge, you're relying on a bit of being able to be in the right part of that forum at the right time, perhaps, or you're relying on a user flag to flag that user. that, That was actually something I was going to ask, that whether you think it's actually the responsibility of the person who's using the internet to be responsible for their own mental health should they go into different um, websites and services knowing that there's a potential for them to feel depressed or and that they should take responsibility for that or do you think it's the responsibility of the actual companies that create these platforms to identify vulnerable people and provide support and community for them it's a good question it's a big dilemma and it's one that's been debated for a long time i've debated it for a long time i i've taken um a, a pretty a pretty reasoned stance on it now where i think ultimately you're offering a service to help people and to assist people you're not there to act like a crisis intervention service um and nor can you or should you do that in an online setting um You've got a spectrum of, of, of users and a spectrum of, of the severity of the condition that they're in. And I think the data will show that people who are at risk are obviously at the higher end of that spectrum. They're also the, at a much lower density of people. But yet, if you're designing for that lower amount of people at the highest risk end of the spectrum you're forgetting the other 85 or 90, potentially 90% of people who are not at risk. And so that's what we cater for in terms of me. We don't, we're very clear about saying, we don't offer support to people who are suicidal or at the moment in time. Difference between someone who's got suicidal ideation um, or may have suicidal thoughts or feelings versus someone who's actively suicide at this moment in time. That's a medical emergency. That's something that has to be dealt with by trained medical professionals. Um, or an A&E department. Um, I don't even think that a crisis intervention telephone service is necessarily able to, 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 to take that type of risk on 
um, in in the best way that it could be dealt with in terms of a risk. I think it does need to be physically dealt with or, you know, has to be dealt with by people in the place and at the time. So, you know, really then it comes back to the point of if, if a user does come up and they are in that active suicidal state, um, it's definitely not the responsibility of other users to, to, to support or deal with that. And that's why we don't allow that. Um, those thoughts would go automatically private and not public. Therefore, they'd be, they'd be delimited from comments. And then it's not the role of the organization to take on uh, escalating that, although we do, and, and we have done on numerous occasions. And that's a fine line. You escalate to the police, and we've done this countless times, be it the Irish, the UK, Interpol or Europol, be, be wherever the jurisdiction is, they will then access national databases and extract the address out from the IP address that we provide them, and then they'll go and kick a door down. Well, that's a very invasive thing to happen to somebody. Um, quite often, it's a false alarm. Quite often, it's somebody at an address that doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, it's a very, very difficult situation to balance. So um, we have done that, like I said, on countless occasions. There have been times when life has been saved, and that's what you're there for, and it's great. Um, but there's been many, many other times where the, the user has come back and said, you grossly breached my privacy, how dare you? Um, and, you know, I was sitting at home with my wife or partner or friend or whomever, and all of a sudden, like, cops coming down, beating my door down to try and get in and, and inter- interrupt what was perceived as being a suicidal situation. So um, it's still a debate that will continue. Um, I don't think that we'll get to an answer on it anytime reasonably soon. All I can say is for now, when we do have the information and we have reliable information, we will escalate that. Great. Well, Oshin, thanks for everything. Um, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the interview. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, really appreciate the uh, the interview today, Lauren. So they can go to www.turntome.org. So it's the number two, me.org. And there they'll see all the services they can sign up for free um very little details are obtained and a, really just a username unique to the site and an email address but it's never disclosed um and they can go on then to um our services menu on the top of the site and see the different services and then we've also a new page that's just been added recently based on user feedback uh, called getting started and getting started really explains the whole service how each of the services work and operate and guides people through with screenshots so that's up on the get involved um, sub menu that's on the top menu of uh, of the website, and they can see all all that they like there. And there's also a feedback section on the site. So if anyone has any questions or feedback, we actively encourage them to use that form to to let us know. Well, Oshin, thank you so much again for spending time with us today. It's been great listening to you and finding out about the work that you're doing. I wish you all the luck in the world with it. Thank you. Pleasure.